0: Hello, I'm John Eldridge, and welcome to the Ransomed Heart audio podcast. For more information on Ransomed Heart Ministries, our resources, and events, please visit us online at www.ransomedheart.com.
1: John, there's a reason I'm not holy.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yeah,
1: there's a reason. I mean, um, there's some pretty... Big stuff, wounds, hurts, agreements. There's stuff in my life um, that's pretty stubborn and has been there for decades. Right. You know, it's uh, holiness around the fringes is doable, but there's some pretty tough
0: stuff. Exactly.
1: In my life.
0: Exactly. And what's been the effect? of those stubborn places over the years on your heart
1: resignation um, whenever i hear talk about freedom life wholeness restoration holiness it uh, feels like there's a governor yes that would be for me except for exactly this, this
0: Yes, this. right hopelessness yes. cynicism yeah. yeah friends welcome to the ransom Tower podcast you're tuning in um with John Eldridge, Greg McConnell, in our last podcast here in January on the utter relief of holiness, and we 're going to push in today to how that relief really can be ours, because the scriptures don 't just invite a person to take an honest look at their life I mean that would be in and of itself crushing <laughs> the scriptures invite us to a way, yes of actual, real, genuine transformation. Freedom can come. Breakthrough can come. And so this excerpt from late in the book is called Holiness in Stubborn Places, and I think lays out for us at least the highlights that there is a way to find breakthrough in these things. Holiness in Stubborn Places People can get pretty messed up, even good people. Our town has certainly seen its share of scandals, which are always tragic and almost always predictable. Sometimes the fall from grace plunges the person into a pretty dark place. When the shocking news is made public, the shared reaction is typically along the lines of, how could this have happened? Well, it happens for many reasons, of course, but they usually include, though it is rarely named, a whacked view of holiness. I happen to know a bit about one recent shocker, and I know that, first off, this leader did not believe that the heart is central. He believed that the heart of the Christian remains wicked even though Christ came to dwell there. And therefore, holiness for him was all about behavior. This is partly why I said these scandals are predictable. When you neglect the sanctifying of the heart, you set yourself up for a fall. No one can discipline himself into the holiness that we need in this world, and you sure can't discipline yourself out of a deep dungeon. Neglect the heart, and you are toast. Second, in this man's case, there were major character issues quite apart from the sexual sin. In fact, the other issues came first and paved the way for the sexual fall. The man was a narcissist, always needing to be the center of attention, his narcissism created issues with money, pride, self-absorption, and manipulation. When you introduce duplicity into your character, it allows for greater double-mindedness to follow. We think we can compartmentalize our issues, but they bleed over into other realms. Dishonesty with your staff soon becomes dishonesty with your spouse. Feelings of financial entitlement soon become feelings of sexual entitlement. But when you say to yourself, I don't have to look at those things, it pretty quickly becomes, I don't have to look at this either. So, the heart was dismissed. He was trying to keep up an external model of holiness, but duplicity entered in. Now, add to this childhood wounds. Often in these sexual falls, there is some sort of early sexual experience. Abuse or pornography or experimentation. And those experiences create a rift in the soul into which darkness loves to rush. But the minister in this case didn't believe that the primary thing God is up to is making us whole and holy. He saw the pursuit of wholeness as an intrusion by secular psychology into the Christian life. He certainly didn't want to admit or face his own brokenness. His fall was utterly predictable. The man was a disaster waiting to happen. Now, I know, it's too easy to point to these public scandals. But the problem is the church really mishandles them. After this particular fall, I heard pastors discussing it. One leader said, well, we're all capable of that, aren't we? All the heads around the table nodded and bang. That was the end of the discussion. There was no thinking about it, no probing, no questioning, no real consideration of how does this happen? So that we might understand how to prevent it. Or get out of it once it has happened. The classic line repeated by many in this situation is We're not going to judge. We're all sinners saved by grace. That's simply not helpful. For one thing, you are far more than a sinner saved by grace. We're not all capable of that. Saying we are is saying that no one grows in holiness, no one gets any better. Christ hasn't transformed any person's life to any degree. That's nonsense. I don't want to pretend that the process of our transformation is easy. You already know it isn't. But I do believe we can find the genuine goodness of Jesus in our deep and lasting struggles. I believe it can happen. I've seen it happen. The Scriptures promise it can happen. It will help to keep in mind that, first, it is a process, a process God is committed to. It is a process in which we can cooperate a process that needs our cooperation. There is a way to be good again. Three examples. I think it'll prove helpful if we use three scenarios of deep struggle to help illustrate how we can all deal with our own struggles. Danny married in his 20s. Around age 30, he began to surf the Internet for homosexual pornography, though he didn't know why. The inner conflict was tearing him apart, but... He explored deeper until he found himself seeking out homosexual encounters in gay bars. He repented. He vowed to himself and to God that he would stop. Given the ocean of guilt and self-hatred he felt, he was certain that he would never do it again. One week later, he was back at the bars looking for sex. A year later, he has given up on holiness. He's just hoping he doesn't get caught. Resignation has set in along with depression. How could this have happened? Never in his life did he think he would seek out such liaisons. After all, he is a Christian. How can this be happening? Where is the promise of a holy life? Dawn's issue is rage. She kept a lid on it for many years, but recently it has come out, directed at her young children. Things have gotten violent on a few occasions, but so far no one outside the family knows about it. She realizes she's crossed a line in her discipline of her kids, and it scares her. But she feels trapped. If she confesses to a friend or her priest, she fears she might lose her children to social services. So the rage goes unaddressed, a monster waiting to overcome her. Kurt is drinking too much. He had issues with drugs and alcohol in high school, but he left that behind when he became a Christian in his 20s, or so he thought. Now, at age 47, he's turning to alcohol again to deal with the emptiness he feels inside. He never wanted to be single, never wanted to stay in his hometown. None of his dreams panned out, and he hates his job, he hates his life. So he comes home, turns on the TV, and drinks himself to sleep. How can these folks find holiness? How can we? Again, it's a process. But the way we look at our situation and the way we understand the interplay of three forces can make or break our hopes for real transformation. Sin, Brokenness, Strongholds What then, Paul says? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means! Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Romans 6. And in Ephesians 4, in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. And then my favorite passage from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Notice that in each of these three passages, bondage is addressed. In the Romans passage, Paul makes it clear that our bondage is linked to our choices, to what we offer ourselves to. In Ephesians, the bondage is a direct result of letting the sun go down on unaddressed issues, giving our enemy a foothold in our lives. The bondage here is a spiritual stronghold. In Isaiah, bondage is linked to brokenheartedness. God is promising to bind up to heal our brokenness and free us from captivity. The two go hand in hand. And so we see that the issues here are sin Brokenness, and spiritual strongholds. If you want to be free, if you want to experience the utter relief of holiness, you need to understand the interplay of sin, brokenness, and strongholds. Those who don't find lasting freedom are usually trying to deal with only one category. Renouncing the Sin. Danny's story is going to reveal some childhood trauma, but Danny is 35 now. He is an adult and his current sins are screaming at him. I believe we need to start here. The therapeutic model wants to head straight for the trauma, and we do need to find healing for the wounds. But we also need to deal with the sin. And in most cases, this comes first. I'm describing a model that people can use wherever they are, particularly in the absence of professional help. But if you can get to a Christian counselor, by all means do. You have to start with what you know. You have to begin there. Forgive me for this sin, this sexual sin, this rage, and my abusive speech to my children. Forgive me for my drunkenness. You start with repentance. You start with what you know. Now again, the hope is this. God wants to sanctify you through and through. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Freedom comes only as we bring these unsanctified and unholy places under the rule of Jesus Christ, so that he can possess these very places deeply and truly. Therefore, part of this first step involves sanctifying the place of bondage to Jesus Christ. If it's sexual, You sanctify your sexuality to Christ. If it's emotional, as with Don's Rage, you sanctify your emotions. If it involves addiction, you sanctify your appetite, your obsession, and your body. At the retreats we do, we walk through this process in prayer, and many people are shocked to realize they have never taken the first simple step of sanctifying their sexuality or emotions or appetites to Jesus Christ. But if you want to be free in this place, it must come under the total, intimate, ongoing rule of God. Breaking the Stronghold The Ephesians passage warns about spiritual strongholds created in our lives when we let the sun go down on something. Note that in this case, that something isn't necessarily sin. Paul says, in your anger do not sin. So anger does not equal sin anger can be a very appropriate reaction to life's injustices. Nonetheless, failure to deal with that anger, letting the sun go down on it, clearly gives our enemy an opportunity to create footholds or places of bondage in our lives. And by the way, Ephesians is a letter written to Christians. It is therefore quite clear that Christians can have demonic strongholds in their lives. If you let the sun go down on these unresolved issues in your life, the emotional issues, the wounds, the pain, and the sin that goes with them, you are going to create a mess for yourself down the road. And so a genuine pursuit of holiness requires going back into those places to deal with them now. Danny was sexually abused by his brother at age seven. The fear, shame, confusion, and guilt broke his little heart. After three years, his brother was caught and the abuse stopped. Now, you would think that, of all people, Danny would never, ever want to see the same thing happen to someone he loved. How is it that at 16, he became an abuser himself? Why do these cycles repeat themselves so very, very frequently? Spiritual strongholds. That's why. The enemy seizes these events to create a hold in us. In Danny's case spirits of sexual sin gained access to him both by the sins done against him and by his own sins. Dawn's father had major problems with rage she remembers as a little girl hiding in the closet for fear of her father. Now fear is not a sin just as anger is not necessarily sin. The issue is letting the sun go down on that fear for many years. And Kurt He was a party guy in high school. He never really saw it as a big issue, but now that he's trying to get free from it, he realizes that the loneliness and the fear of what others would think of him if he didn't party were what got the ball rolling in the first place. Giving way to peer pressure was the first act that the sun went down on. And so we begin to break the enemy's hold on us through the presence of agreements. By this, I mean places in our own hearts that have made a deep agreement with a feeling, a thought, a sentence. If you have struggled with something for years now, there are probably agreements along the lines of, I'll never get free from this. I'm such a blanking idiot. Who cares anyway? It's too late. And a host of others. Those are agreements, and they serve as a kind of permission for the enemy to keep you in bondage. And so you must break them. In addition to these, there are the agreements with the sin itself. I am filled with rage. I am a drunk. I am gay. They can even feel biblical. But friends, you do not want to be making agreements with your sin. You are dead to sin and alive to God. You are the dwelling place of Jesus Christ. You are forgiven and dearly loved. The scriptures even say you are holy. And by the will of God, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hebrews chapter 10. And so, you must break the agreements you've been making here in this area of your struggle. Some will be obvious to you, others require the presence of the Holy Spirit to reveal them. Healing the Brokenness. Now for the best part the healing. God wants to make you whole. And holy. He promises to heal the brokenhearted. So now you invite Jesus in to heal the wound, to love you in this place, to restore your soul here, to heal this memory. You invite him into your past. Danny needs to invite Jesus into those first sexual experiences, those memories of abuse. As he does, Jesus will come there and bring his healing love. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my wounds and into my brokenness. Again, don't be vague and general. Be very specific. Jesus, I invite you into the day I was abused. Come into my shattered heart, my shame. Come into that moment in my life. I ask you to cleanse me here, to heal my broken heart, and to make me whole. Linger in this place in prayer. Listen, pay attention. Often Jesus will bring up something necessary to your healing. For example, suddenly you feel the anger toward your abuser. Jesus is showing you that you need to forgive. And so, Jesus, I forgive my brother for abusing me, or I forgive my father for scaring me, for raging at me. And I release him from my rage, and I give him over to you. Or sometimes you'll feel the shame and the self-rejection. Lord Jesus, come into this shame. I renounce all self-rejection. I renounce despising myself because of all that has happened. I forgive myself as well. Come and heal me. Sometimes you'll feel the young places in your heart just crying out for love or for protection. Lord Jesus, gather the young and frightened places in my heart into your loving arms. Come and find me here, in these very places, in these memories, in these events. Gather my heart into your love and make me whole. It's important that I stop and point out that, especially here in healing, It's usually helpful if you have someone to pray along with you, a trained counselor or minister, someone who knows a bit about healing prayer, or simply a friend who knows Jesus and wants to help you. It's not mandatory, but it can be very helpful. God will bring you what you need.
1: Yeah, just if you're going to talk about holiness, John, as as you've done... The holiness we're talking about requires a work of God. It's just something I can't tape together or manufacture or counterfeit. And it just feels like you've given such great direction, clarity to how to deal with, to see and face the huge things that get in the way, color everything we do and how we relate in a way that just points to God. And it does give hope.
0: Look at the way the most broken of all responded to Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, you take the the prostitutes, you take the murderers, you take the violent, you take the abusers, you, you know, people who knew there was no question about their life. They mm-hmm. knew who they were. How did they respond to Jesus? mean, mm-hmm. they ran to him, straight to him that's a clue. Mm-hmm. That's that's an indication. That's a sign that there's hope in this. That For our deepest struggles, the hope of the gospel is, is not a message of get your act together. The hope of the gospel is transformation can come, mm-hmm. that God yes. wants to make you whole and holy through his love and that process. Let me make one more observation. At any given time in your life, you really – may not know what God's up to, you know, seeking the will of God, um, just on any given Thursday afternoon, you may not have clarity on what God is up to in your life, Mm -hmm. but I can guarantee you this, he is always up to this, Mm -hmm. making you whole and holy by his love. He's always up to the transformation of your life so that... You can live with strength and power and goodness in this world. The
1: book is The Utter Relief of Holiness How God's Goodness Frees Us from Everything That Plagues Us. John, it's been a joy listening to these excerpts and just conversing with you. And listeners hope that you would uh, go to wherever books are sold or to the Ransom Heart website. That's Ransom Heart dot com and pick up this book, you're going to find that it touches some things in your heart and your life that God just so longs to bring restoration, hope, joy, and life to.
0: You're going to be relieved. Yes. (laughs) Utterly. Yes. Totally. Totally.